how, how does your art start to become valuable? I was direct to market. I was able to gradually raise my prices. I've done collaborations with everybody from Disney to Adidas, from Shaq to Justin Bieber to Post Malone. I look at a problem in the market where there's a hotel that needs a beautiful piece in on their wall. How can I creatively think of something to make this more beautiful? How can I be more creative to think outside the box to get into the market and outcome that I want? And it really takes coming down with a, a set plan. So understanding like we have our target, we have our goal, and then how many different ways can I get to that goal? All right, today on the podcast, I've got Anthony Ricciardi. Anthony, I met about a couple of months ago, maybe. He reached out to me on DMs and was like, hey, dude, I've I've made art for Grant Cardone. I'm sure you've seen it when you were at his office, and I'd love to make you a piece for one of your upcoming events. And I was like, all right, let's, let's do it. I've seen the art. The art is really cool. And uh, he ended up making me a really cool one-of-one, um, you know, Tykes NFT art piece that had my tyke picture in the middle. And if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm sure we're B-rolling it. And uh, it had all the beasts behind it for upcoming new collection, Tykes Unleashed. And it was just a super dope um, painting. And then we made a hundred prints of them like on a really nice canvas. And we gave it out to the first hundred people that got the Unleashed connections or, or collection. So it was really cool. Um, and that was how we met. And now he's back here for uh, 10X again. And he's with Grant. Um, they're they're releasing another art collection, yep. and he's done collections for celebrities and um, other people. And I think it's interesting, man, because uh, art is one of those things. It's content, right? And so you've turned this art business, well, this art content into a business. And you know, I, I'm really interested to dive in your story and how that's all playing out as an entrepreneur, and really kind of focusing on this entrepreneur niche for art. For sure. Well, super grateful to be here. Thank you. Um, yeah, for me, it's been, a, it's been an interesting journey. I like quick backstory is being from Toronto. I grew up loving art. Um, I had a passion for art, but it never really seemed like a viable career. No one growing up said, Hey, become an artist. That's, that's a viable thing to do. So I went to school for finance and I think that one of, I went to school in Alabama on a baseball scholarship and then I studied finance instead of art. And I think that that switch in my brain from the creative side to understanding the entrepreneurial and finance side has really paid dividends moving forward. Because a lot of people that I spoke to in the, or, or continue to speak to in the art space, look at canvases as a singular act. Let me paint the canvas. Let me just find a place to put it. And I'm looking at everything through a business lens and an entrepreneurial lens. And that's throughout my whole life. I've started businesses, tried different things, and now really honing that energy towards arts has been, um, has really worked out. And I think that uh, that's what has allowed me to do and think outside the box, like the collaboration with you and with Grant and all the different like things that I've done sort of on a global scale. Yeah. So who are you now making art for these days? Yeah. I mean, throughout the last six, seven years, I've been able to be in a, a bunch of really, really fun collections. Um, everyone from Shaq to Justin Bieber to Post Malone, and then specifically in the entrepreneur space, um, did a club, uh, piece for Brad Lee recently, um, Grant Cardone, of course. Um, and a, and a few others, like it definitely in the entrepreneurial and creative space. And I love the, the concept of creating custom art like we did for you, where it's not only an original piece of art, but it really means something to them. Yeah. So a lot of the like, even law firms, investment banks, hedge funds that I've done paintings for their like their main boardrooms or like their offices, they look like a regular painting, like a, a hopefully a beautiful painting. But when you get close to it, it's like tucked in with quotes that they love, uh, you know, the purpose of their brand, the purpose of their their mission and things like that. You know, uh, I remember when I went to Grant's office, I saw all this artwork and I'm like, man, he, he's really into art. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I don't have any art in my office. <laughs> and um, I, I just remember thinking that and that was it. And then all of a sudden you just happened to DM me maybe like a, a couple of months later. And you're like, yeah, all that art you saw I created that. I was like, whoa, that's cool. And you're like, I'd love to create it for you. And yeah. I was like, dude, I'm down. Let's do it. And um, it was so cool, like how quickly you made that piece. I mean, dude, it was like a day or two turnaround. For sure. I was like, hey, here's the vision. And you're like, all right, let's do it. Boom. I believe, you know, as, on, as an entrepreneur, I believe this is a lesson for everyone is that we need to take, when we have an opportunity, we need to take full advantage of it in the moment. And because I'm continuously working on things, like I'm never just starting something fresh. Like even the canvas that I did for you, like the base layers and everything I've been working on for months. And I'm usually working on between 30 to 40 paintings at a time. And wow. of, cor of course, I'm not finishing all those like on a day-to-day -day basis, but a lot of them, I'm getting to the stage where once I have the concept, I can execute it right away because I know things like that come up. 
right? Even even the Grant show, um, to give you reference on that, we met in early November of last year. And I said, I want to do a show with you, a full art show, 10 pieces, a hundred, uh, no, a thousand prints and a bunch of other stuff. I did the whole entire show in a month with shipping it all to Miami and getting it all framed and everything. So I was like, if I see an opportunity, we got to take it. And I think that's a really important for anyone. Oh, hundred percent. Right. When you have something in front of you that it's not time to delay or think about it, or it's just like, just do it. Exactly. And figure out the rest later. Exactly. So what, what was the show you did? We, so every year in Miami, there's a show called Art Basel. It's yeah, a, I was there a, this uh, this last year during, uh, I was there for an NFT thing. Okay, amazing. Yeah, yeah so so Art Basel goes on every year, um, originally from Basel, Switzerland, but it, it's now, there's the hub, one hub is in Miami. So from the main show, there's a bunch of satellite shows that do, and then a lot of artists like myself will do solo shows. So for the last about five years, um, I've just done a solo show there. There's a lot of art collectors and a lot of my clients that are in town. And because of that, we'll do like a show. I'll have a little party and, and just have some fun there. So Grant's a big art collector, you know, even way before my art came into the picture, of course. And obviously he knows about Art Basel. So I said, hey, let's let's do a show together and let's let's make a splash in the art scene. And And of course, I based all the canvases around his inspiration in quotes. So all the paintings, none of them were like a picture of him or anything. They were... They were inspired by his messages, mm-hmm. and I created one of a kind pieces of art around his message. And um, that's what I think I've been able to do well with art as a general is just like taking a, a concept and then turning it into like a physical piece of artwork. So mm-hmm. that was a show I did with him. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I've heard that. Um, I mean, I was there that week. I didn't get to go to like all the all shows. There's so stuff. many. Yeah, yeah, it's just craziness in Miami. Yeah. They were like, "Oh yeah, that it's that week. Yeah, it's gonna be crazy." Yeah, out there. I was like, well, <laughs> "All right, yeah." It's fun. It's it's become more of a party. A lot, we've been, I've been going for like 10 years, but like the last three, four years have become more of a, just a party, yeah. um, which is still cool, but yeah. it's more of an exposure play now from the art sales. 100%. 100%. Yeah. So how'd you get linked with Justin Bieber and all these guys to do yeah. work? So so two things. Um, the first one is I had a jacket. I used to own a clothing line called Dust of Gods, and we've sort of done clothing all over the world. And they were one of a kind pieces of art that like I hand painted all the jackets. So that was a, my first entry into like the celebrity market because it was an easy thing. Like they can wear a one of a kind piece of art where you can do that. And then from there, um, my canvases, when they were starting to see my jacket art, my jewelry art and all different stuff, the canvases started like, okay, well now I need a canvas for home. So a lot of the time was through their management, was through, you know, one of their representatives that wanted to buy them a piece for, you know, whatever it may be. Like I remember, um, I did a piece for Shaquille O'Neal and his his uncle is his bodyguard who has been like his by his side for years um, since he was drafted. And he got in touch with a guy that I know in Toronto and said, like, we want to do a piece for Shaq. And I ended up doing a piece. He liked it so much. He took that and got, we did three more. I donated one to charity and then he signed two for me to keep, which is cool. So now I have it. um, I have like a, a one original painting of Shaq that's signed, which is really, really fun. So a lot of them are through, um, through their management, through through people that just seem to like, you know, like my art and wanted to have a spin with their take on it. Mm, that's yeah. super cool. So tell me about just like the business now. Like, yep. you know, well, actually, before you tell me about the art business, I'm just, I think a lot of people would benefit hearing from how you quit finance to do this, For right? Sure. Because there's so many people working nine to fives that don't like their job, right? And they have a dream. The dream could be real estate. It could be art. It could be anything. But they're yeah. so scared to stop it because they spend all this time getting a degree yep. and interning and moving their way up. And they're like, dude, to leave this is so scary. Yeah. No, it is. And I, so I worked for a real estate investment fund for about five years. Um, we what did, what like, were you doing there? I, I was an analyst, uh, analyst in origination. So I was on the lending side of it. And I worked a little bit on the equity team as well. But I was uh, lending lending money for commercial developments between like 50 to $150 million. And I was just underwriting them, originating them, and uh, sort of doing the whole, I worked for a, a boutique investment fund in Toronto, and so I was getting the whole, it was really cool because I got to work with the partners and understand the entrepreneurial side of things as well, like just what it takes to actually run an operation and, and all the different facets, that thing. So again, very grateful for that to then translate into my art career. But the transition for me was I always believed in doing more than I was doing in the moment. So what I mean by that is when I was working in finance, like every morning, every when I, because I used to start early in the morning till late at night, but every morning before I worked and every single night um, and weekend, I painted. Like, I, of course, I, my my wife now, who was my girlfriend at the time, we've been together um, since high school, but like, of course, I got to see her, I got to see my parents, but every other moment um, I was painting. And I, I always 
believed that I could make the transition one day, but it took years. And a lot of people ask me like, oh, you must've hated your job and that's why you left. I'm like, I actually didn't mind it much. Like at a younger age, I was making pretty good money in, in real estate. I was learning about investing. So I was personally investing in things, buying some condos, buying some homes, like different things like this. Um, but the transition for me was I really, I re reverse engineered my day as a whole and understood that I was like, there was six, seven hours a night, right? I didn't need that much sleep. I need five, six hours. But if I can just really maximize that time away from the office and paint and start to build a career over a five-year window, I actually can transition to become an artist. So it definitely didn't happen overnight. It was just really five years of grinding every weekend and every night. Well, that's the hard part too, right? Because like when I think about an artist value, it's like, like how do they even become valuable? It's mm -hmm. like, it's just word of mouth. Like one day, because there's lots of talented people who make amazing art and it's worthless. Yeah. So it's just like, how do you, how, how does your art start to become valuable? For sure. No, it's a great question. I, I think over years, I never, because I didn't take a traditional path to art. So I never went to like the, the typical gallery stream. I never went to anything normal. I was direct to market. And I think that by going direct to market the whole entire time, I was able to gradually raise my prices. So for argument's sake, if a painting started at $1,000 and then they sold, they, I did 10 of them, they all sold out. Now I can try two. And over a, now it's been an 11 year period, the organic sales have just continued to rise. So every so I started selling $15,000 paintings and every time I make one, they sell. So now I can go up to 18 or 20,000. So, and now if I'm ranging between the 18 to $25,000 range for a, for a painting, it's now I have a market that's there. And then, so it, it's, it's a gradual thing. I don't like, there's no like artificial inflation of prices is like the market has told me what the market's told me and people are willing to spend at that price because of everything that I've done. Yeah. I think, um, What's interesting to me is like you're you're going direct to market or direct to market, like you said. We're not like is the traditional way. I assume you you go to a gallery, they take fifty percent or something. You go to a third party gallery, you go to an agent, and they'll they'll find you the cl the client, and they'll take fifty percent. Okay, it's like the traditional route. And so they're just like going to create a story around your art and yes. all that stuff. Yeah. So I I built my own galleries. So right out of when I left. Um, work. The first thing I did was I, I got a lease and I just worked out a creative structure with the lease structure, one of the top malls where I can like work on a percentage plus rent plus base and all this stuff that made it physically possible for me to do it. I like, I didn't have much money at the time. Yeah. So I was like, let me just try to structure away. I'll do like a two week, two week lease. Cause I'll, I'll, I'll fill up a vacant property and that rolled into like a five-year lease. Um, just because I proved out a concept. So going direct and like opening my own galleries, representing myself, not only allowed me to keep a hundred percent, but it also just gave me the flexibility to even do collaborations like things with you. If I had a gallery representing me or an agent, you they would step it. in, they would be like, no, what do you mean? Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna fly to who? Grand Cardone, you're gonna fly to who, right? Like you're they're they're they don't get it. They don't get it. So if you're gonna go that route, like do you see more artists doing that now? Because uh, you see the music industry, right? The mm -hmm. the old way was just go get a record deal that sucks and then yeah, get screwed and whatever, right? Now people are like, no, I can just go direct. I'll go release it on Spotify right now. I'll go make a YouTube and like, I'll, I'll get my own thing. Yep, that's that's exactly it. I, I look to a lot of music artists. There's a, one of my favorite artists is Russ um, and he he's proven out the concept that like when you put out a lot of work and you do it consistently over a long period of time, like doing everything yourself, it eventually does click. And it's just a numbers game at the end of the day. Like we gotta do a lot. I mean, how many times did it take you to go through a deal to realize this is the way to do it? Yeah. And I, I think that that's the same way with art and same way with music, um, anything creative really. Um, you gotta do a lot of it and just, and keep going and then allow it to give it a chance to tip. Right, no, the 100%. So would you say that majority of your art or like what percentage is like done for you, like it was done for me. And then you can charge like whatever that person thinks it's worth or just making random pieces of art that you're selling in a gallery. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, I'd say it's still about 50, 50. I do a lot of pieces just out of my heart, like uh, for my gallery, for my studio, I have two active spaces in Toronto and then I do pop-ups sort of all over the world, but my main ones are in Toronto and well, 50% of the pieces that I do are just things that I want to create. Uh, just like ideas that I have in my head. And then the other 50% will be a client coming to be like, oh, I saw this, but I want these quotes. Or I saw you did that piece in that with that in the center, but I want this in the center. So it's still about 50-50. Um, and, and 
even that, like I'll still have my spin on it. Like even you gave me direction on your piece for just argument's sake. Yeah. And I, I'll, I'll run with it in the way like envision that I have. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I still, there's not much I do that's like a client would just tell me exactly what to do. Cause I'm just like, I mean, it's happened a couple of times and I'll, be, I'll just pass on the opportunity because yeah. I still need to be an artist. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's about 50, 50. Yeah. Cause I remember, it's so funny. I'll tell you a story. So I used to go on cruises a lot. I've been on a cruise since COVID, but cruises were my favorite thing to do because I think they're like the best value vacation ever. Yeah. You, you go on like a seven day cruise, eat all you want, visit like four places, costs like a thousand dollars, you know, like it's ridiculous how good of a value it is. And so when my wife and I got married and we were broke, it was like once a year we went on a cruise and that was our big vacation. It was like $2,000. And um, I remember during the cruise, they always have these art auctions and they're held by um, Park Ave. Yep. Park Avenue. Yep. And it's funny because they, you know, I remember sitting in there, I'm like just learning about art and just like, they're just such good salespeople yeah. of like, this guy's <laughs> this, he's that, you know, you got to hear about this guy. He did this thing. And like the big guy that they're always selling is Peter Max. Peter Max. Yeah. He's huge on cruise ships. <laughs> yeah, dude. I was, they, they made me believe Peter Max is like the greatest artist of this generation. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I guess he's the best. He's like the best. this guy he's just the has the umbrella guy and like, yeah. he's the best. Yeah. And you know, they're selling his art for like, I don't know. <clears throat> crazy money you yeah. know like 15 20 grand i'm like for prints they were yeah. like multiples <laughs> yeah and i'm like <laughs> he's the best i guess it just is there's <laughs> like andy warhol nobody knows who that guy is like <laughs> yeah. peter max is the guy yeah. and you know i soon learned it was like yeah the cruise ship art's not necessarily the best <laughs> yeah yeah but they do a great job marketing it and i've heard that i heard that as well i it's a very funny side story is that i i never been on a cruise but i always heard about i thought about cruise i'm like wait that would be a great idea to start a gallery. I didn't even look into it yet. I started reaching out to cruise lines and like marketing reps. They're, they're like, like, bro, you're like so behind. They're like, we've been doing this for 20 years. I'm like, what? <laughs> I did not know this. So I was very behind and Park Ave runs the entire cruise industry. Oh yeah. They run dude. them all. They kill it. They crush it. They did have a, so, you know, okay. To, to bring the story full circle, I never bought a Peter Max, but there was this, um, dang, I don't even remember the artist's name now. I feel bad. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> but I remember there was this cool, like, um, this guy used foil. Oh, Patrick Guyton. That's his name. Cool. So he uses like foil and it was just like super metallic and like cool. And I remember like seeing it on the cruise and his stuff would be going for a couple thousand dollars. And I was like, man, one day I'm gonna buy one of those because th those are really cool. And I remember coming home after one cruise. And by then, dude, I was already a millionaire. I was just cheap. Yeah. And I was like, dude, you know what? I wonder how much they're selling these Patrick Guytons or for on eBay. And so went on ebay and looked and you know sure enough there was like a really cool one i bought it it was like a thousand dollars and i was like this is my first piece of art that's this awesome. is cool that's awesome um and then i started to get into the art world even more because i didn't realize so many of these rich people were using art as tax deductions yeah and so you know basically i, I started talking to people and they're like yeah dude like art is a huge deal for rich people i'm like what do you mean and they're like yeah you know so rich people this is what they do they buy they get art made from whoever and then whatever it's like just call it a hundred thousand dollar piece and then they go get it appraised mm -hmm. and it, it might appraise for five hundred thousand dollars or something right like because yeah. art's so subjective like 100%. who's to say what it's really worth yep right and from there then they go donate donate it, yep. the art for you know a value of five hundred thousand and that's the write-off they get so they get a five hundred thousand dollar write-off and then they still keep the art because they'll just go like put it in their building or something. Yeah. And I'm just like, wow, this is like a crazy world that like, it really is it. at those, at that next level of price point. Um, it's happened to me a bit and I know it has because I've been approached by many appraisers like a couple years later and they'd be like, Hey, my client bought this for 8,000, but I, we see the paintings this size are going for 30. Um, I need to do an appraisal cause he's donating this and he'll get a, a $30,000 yeah. tax break. Right. And, but even at the higher levels, when you start getting into 150, $200,000 paintings, um, definitely there's uh that happens. And that's the only way that paintings can get into the hundreds of millions. Billionaires are just throwing, throwing hundred million dollars around. Um, there's no, there's no way ever like a painting is worth $200 million, <laughs> right? It's a canvas, right? There's, yeah. But, but it does because of, because of the accumulation of all these transactions. Yeah. No, I, I remember hearing that and I just was thinking, wow, there's yeah. so much I don't know 
about what wealthy people do. Yeah, I do it a lot with developers as well. We have something in Toronto, and I know that a bunch of different cities as well have it, where they have, it's called percentage of public art. So a lot of the public art you see in, especially all the casinos, in resorts, um, they'll, a percentage of their construction budget has to be used towards art. And if they use it towards public art that benefits the greater good, like visually, um, they'll get a tax break on it. So like oh. the 1%, so a $100 million condo building, they got, for, for argument's sake, they got 1% of that to use on public art. So they got a million bucks and they'll they'll outfit the entire condo with that million. And I've done that a couple different times for developers and stuff. And they'll get a tax break on the back end because oh. it makes the place prettier and the city likes that type of stuff, right? They don't want just blank walls. They just want to even out, especially sculptural work, which I'm getting into a lot of now. Um, sculptural work in public places has great tax benefits for the, for the developers and the city that are, uh, sorry, the companies that are using it in those cities. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. I've seen... Um a, a bunch of these companies too now start to do like fractionalization of art. Yeah. Right. Like I think it's masterworks or something. Yes. yes. Yeah. There's, there's like one or two of them that are better, but it's a very interesting concept, like buying a share. They'll buy a painting. They'll buy a um, Picasso. And then they'll split it up. They'll, yeah, they'll just split it up and hopefully they can resell it one day at auction. It's yeah. an interesting concept. Yeah. I've never is. done it. I've looked into it, but I've never uh, personally invested on that side of things, but it's very interesting. WealthCon is coming to Hollywood. If you've ever been to any of my events, you know they're life-changing. We get the best speakers, we have the best venues, we have the best parties, after parties, and networking that you can imagine. I've met so many people who ended up becoming business partners of mine at my events. I've made great relationships, and the people who have attended have done the same. And so I wanna see you at my next one in Hollywood, California, April 4th to the 6th. It's gonna be absolutely incredible. We've got speakers like Chris Crone, Lewis House. We got Roe Built from Bigger Pockets. The list goes on and on. We have a huge lineup of speakers and I want you to be there. So if you wanna attend the event and learn more, go to wealthcon.org. Once again, you can go to wealthcon.org and go learn more about the event and register today. Who's so you know go, going back to style? You know yeah. you got the hearts everywhere, right? The yeah. heart, like you got a tattoo, your shirt, shirt thing, your necklaces, bracelets. I'm hearted yeah. out. It's on my my painting yeah. that you made for me. So is that just like you know Peter Max has the umbrella dude and like all the bright vibrant colors is that your thing yeah so as i started to do more and more shows outside of toronto um in the toronto market my my art would be known but then as i started i did a project in london i did a project in antigua i did a project in wherever it was if i was in brazil i needed to like have a stream of a uh, logo or iconic imagery throughout it all and that's where the heart came into play the heart really came organically when I was painting my parents' backyard. I used to tell myself, just follow your heart and incredible things can happen. And as I continued to do more and more hearts in my artwork, it started to become a staple and people began to know me from it. And I've sort of just ran with it since then. There's understanding branding and concept and, and understanding that like, if I can have a, a recognizable imagery in my artwork um, at a global scale, people will be able to say, oh, that's Richardi. And yep. that was my goal. So even if it's small, um, all my artwork always has a heart. So do you think, I mean, I haven't seen all your art, but like the painting and the style that you made for me, mm -hmm. it seems similar to what you made for Cardone. Do, are they all very similar in that kind of style? Yeah, for sure. Like they all have like, especially when I'm using imagery or like heavy text-based stuff, they'll be in that realm. Um, I do a lot of stuff that has a little more of an abstract feel, which is just like maybe like overall linked hearts of mine or like, Again, all heart-based, but there is a, uh, it's contemporary, modern, um, but there is like an element of graffiti to it because of the splashes yep, and yep. the writing style. So it's sort of like a modern twist on graffiti with the writing. And then I'll take like very contemporary, modern style with like the way that I use my brush strokes, the, the color palettes that I use and, and such. So it's like a, a little bit of a mix of generations. It's inspired by many different artists. What, what would you say if somebody asked you what the actual... It would be styles. considered mixed media contemporary. Mixed media contemporary. So the mixed media part comes in like I'll use paper as a, as a base. Like even all the, the tykes that I had in the back of the beasts, um, they were cut out, picked, pasted pictures. I glue on, edit them, oh. and then I hand painted the Hannah Tyler Center. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. So if you go really closely, you'll see each one's hand cut and you'll see the, hand, the big ones painted. So oh. I'll do like paint on top of paper layers. And I, I've done a lot of different like mediums where I'll do foil, I'll do resin, I'll do different things that I mix in to the painting to give it dimension. I gotta ask, do you do that all yourself? Or yeah. do you have people like help cut that stuff? Yeah, so like right now I still do everything myself. Um, it's a it's a 
It's a lot of work to it's go a lot cut of out work. a bunch of these yeah, yeah, monsters. It's, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um, a lot of artists. It's a very normal thing in, in society. Like a lot of artists don't do all their own work. They have a bunch of That's assistants. That's what I'd be thinking. Yeah. And I I still love it enough and I still have found enough time to to do it. And, and you know, I love the process of the base layers. And like I said at the beginning, the I'm always working on 30 or 40, so I'm never backlogged really. Like right. where if I was working on one piece at a time and I was only focused on like that one canvas, everything would just take me so much longer. But like when I have a, a lot, like if I have a couple days where it's like a light, a light week and I can execute the base layers, let's say to something very simple of 20 paintings, I will, because there's no real thought into that. What takes time is the, the ending is, is like the real thought, the concept and everything. But the base layers, you just add, add paint. It's not like, I, I don't like overcomplicating things. I know a lot of artists um, will say like, Oh, it takes me a year to make it. It's my heart. And so I'm like, it does, but I'm just working on it more efficiently. Yeah. Right? I just not literally take it. Where did you year. learn that, dude? Is that something that you learned from somebody or? Because I had to only work at nights and weekends, I had to just make the most out of my time. So it's just the way the style that I, I developed over trying, I don't want to use the word rush, but trying to get a lot done because I didn't want to work anymore. I wanted to become an artist. So I was trying to get a lot done in a short period of time. So I just figured out how to work more efficiently. Mm. Yeah. So what do you think like makes a Warhol or a Picasso or something like how did these guys derive their value? Yeah. So two ways. I mean, first and foremost, like because art, like you said, is so subjective, like the, the beauty of it's almost irrelevant because there's paintings that just have a singular splash. So the market, and we'll go back into what people, people think is the price point is where it's all going to come down to. So the art dealers, the galleries and the artists themselves have done an excellent job of allocating demand for their products. So like anything else is supply and demand, meaning that if I only make 20 paintings this year, so I'm going to make a hundred like last year, I made a hundred paintings. If this year I only make 20, my value in theory, just by economic standards would go up because I'm making much less. And then a lot of them, unfortunately, the old, old story is like, you know, once an artist dies, the price goes up, he can't make anymore. So it's all supply and demand. But then the second layer is when it starts getting into auctions, when the demand outweighs the amount of that he can create or she can create. Um, that's where the price starts to go up. And then the second layer is it becomes a, it becomes a, a rich man's club, like a rich person's club where it's like, they're just, that person bought it. So this person's going to buy it. And like then the cycle continues. Um, so there's no, there's no math to it. That's for sure. It's just definitely doing a lot, being in the right places, doing the right collaborations and then allowing that to compound. Mm. So, who would you say is like, I and I, I only named two, but mm -hmm. like who are the top three artists of all time? And then who's like the top guys today? For sure. I mean, all time is is tricky because there's so many generations. Like if you go back to Rembrandt and like in the, like from hundreds of years, Michelangelo, right? So that's a whole different level of, that's museum grade. None of that stuff goes for sale. And if it does, it's hundreds and hundreds of millions. Um, but in, in more modern day, you mentioned Andy Warhol, who's like the pioneer of multiples. Like he didn't really create much of his own stuff. It was all multiples. Like it's all silk screened. Um, so you what does that mean? So silk screen is the process, like how t-shirts are made is the process of creating one, taking an image of it and then pulling the paint to just make, you can make a hundred in a couple minutes. So it's like a print process, but a little bit more elevated because there's a hand that does it instead of a printer. Uh -huh. um, so a lot of artists, he was the first to originate that concept where I'll make one Maryland for a hundred, for a million bucks, but I can make a bunch for a hundred thousand. And a lot of people buy those. Um, so that's Warhol in modern day. Like the two top ones right now would probably be Damien Hurst and Jeff Koons. Um, Damien Hurst had a big collaboration here in Vegas with the Palms. I don't know if you saw like the big, they had, he has a big shark in the thing. He has all the dot paintings. Mm. They did like, and he did a big sculpture in their pool. It was like a $500 million collection that was put into the, the palms. Wow. And Damien Hurst and Coons did an excellent job of marketing to every single level of collector, meaning that they have everything that's like cheap and cheerful from keychains to the next. And even another one is, would be Takashi Murakami. Um, but then they sell the prints and multiples and then they do sculptures for public um, enjoyment at, like massive scales. So I would say like the best business artists that have done it um, in recent time have been Hearst and Coons. Um, there's a very, very modern uh, Kalindi Wiley is, if I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly, he's did, he did the iconic portrait of Obama and with the flowers all around him. And he's a modern artist who's incredibly talented. And he proved the other side of it where he doesn't do that many paintings, but he's like very gallery centric. He creates just canvases and then it, He's now he's done collaborations with everyone from like 
um, purses to American Express. Like he he did the custom black cards for Amex users mm. and stuff like that. So like there's um there's a bunch of different commercial ways that artists are use, utilizing now. Mm. No, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm just thinking through like all the ways to like how an artist would do this. So yeah. do you think that there's like, I mean, cause like I'm thinking just like we're all creative, right? Yeah. And so you chose the path of, of creating art and canvas and everything else. But then I see, I've got lots of creative people on my staff who um, they do graphic design. Yeah. You know, and that they're, they're just making graphics and things for our business and yeah. all that stuff. Like, how do you think that people can start tapping into their creativity daily? No, it's, it's a great question. But I really look at creativity from a business standpoint because the way that you'll analyze a real estate deal now in the amount of years you've done it versus the day one is much more creative. Yeah. And, and I, I see that across the line. Like I, we have my friend here who does mortgages and we talk about it often. We're like the way he used to sort through or the way that we sorted through a deal four years ago to today, I'm much more creativity involved. And I look at that. Of course, my outlet is canvases, prints and murals, but I look at a problem in the market where there's a hotel room, there's a hotel that needs a beautiful piece in on their wall. How can I creatively think of something to make this more beautiful? It's the exact same way that a business, somebody in finance, uh, an accountant, really whatever industry you're in, you're, you're in food sales. How can I be more creative to think outside the box to get into the market and outcome that I want? And the way that I believe that that this is done is just truly, truly through many attempts and trial and error. It goes back to the 10,000 hour rule. The more you do something, the better chance you have of becoming good and creative at it. Mm -hmm. So I really look at the word creativity as like innovation. People are usually scared of the word creativity because like, I'm not creative. I can't paint or I can't sing. Yeah. But really it's just about innovating whatever you're currently doing. Yeah. You know, what's funny is, so one of my business partners, his name's Amr. He's a designer and super into arts and stuff. Right. And He's an architect by trade, so everything he does is very creative. Yeah. And, you know, I was telling him, I was like, yeah, dude, this is why I hire people like you, because I just am not creative. And, like, he's like, what are you talking about? You're super creative. And I was yeah. like, what do you mean? He's like, dude, I mean, like, look at everything you've created. Like, that's, you've created from <laughs> yeah. nothing. Yeah. And he's like, you just thought of it, and you did it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. And he's like, y you're thinking of creativity in the way of, like, a singer or an artist. Or He's like, but you're like one of the most creative people I know. The way yep. you look at problems and you figure out solutions to it is extremely creative. And I started to like really think about this concept of creativity. And I was like, yeah, you know, like in real estate, we have creative financing. Yeah. It, it's, it's a way That's to right. get a deal done that traditionally cannot be done. 100%. And I, I think about all these, these creative videos we've done. I think about... Um, these businesses that we've created that literally just don't really exist. They're like pioneering the industry. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, it's yeah. It's all creativity. I, yeah, like I guess I am pretty creative in that I'm trying to like do things no one's ever done. A hundred percent. The in specifically to the real estate, like I didn't, I learned about like the wholesaling side of the world very late. Like I, it's not a big thing in, in Canada. Um, but when I started, I met a couple people um, in Florida and all around that do wholesaling. I was like, this is extremely creative. <laughs> like the way you guys have structured everything and figured out a way to to sell homes and not own or use other people's money and structure deals and own like uh, the Burr method and all these different other things, not only wholesaling, but also on the purchase side of things. I was like, that is creativity at its highest level. And that was that's my thesis. I'm like, I, we all are inherently creative. We're just choosing different outlets to utilize it. And if once people get over that hump of thinking, I'm not creative, the creativity really opens up because mm -hmm. you really are. Maybe change the word. We got to change the world as a society to innovative because people yeah. like the word innovative. Yeah, one right. of our shirts, we've done this a couple of times, is um, it says innovator. Yeah. Because like, I, I believe that as business owners, we have to always be innovating. I'm going to go out of business. <laughs> yeah. And, and creativity is just a, a, a word just like it, right? Yeah. And that's, that's the way, really the way to think about it. Yeah. And I look at my canvases that same way. Yeah. One thing him and I talked about was um, how difficult, because he was designing my house. Um, I, I own a piece of land on a mountain and uh, he's designing the house for it. And we were just talking about like how difficult it is to create this house like that's got on this crazy land engineering and the slope and yeah, yeah. yeah like but he's like no it's actually easier to create this house than it is other houses and i was like why and he's like because if you just have a flat piece of land you have no restrictions he's like mm. restrictions make the creativity much easier because you have a, now a framework 
to work from. He's like, if I just told you, Ryan, it's blank slate, just do whatever you want from nothing. Like, it's hard to try and create something like mm, very just true. out of thin air versus if you say, hey, these are the conditions at which you need to create, make the best possible thing. It, it's easier yep. to do that. Yep. And I think about it because if I was like, hey, Anthony, just make me a painting. Yeah, yeah. It's tough, but I'm like, hey, I got this Tykes event coming out. I would like my Tyke and, and other things to promote our new collection. Make That's easier. For sure. To yeah, yeah I, I totally agree with that. And then it, it also goes with understanding how to execute. And that, again, goes back to trying more things and, and not being scared to be innovative. Because you, when you, you could have told me that and I could have not known where to go with it. Right. But that's where the trial and error and all the, the years of work comes to be like, okay, I know what you're saying. Cause a lot of people say like, I don't know what I want. Or like, I don't know what I want a painting here and I want it to have something to do with my brand. But like, can I just give you six words and you'll run with it? And then that's where the creativity innovation comes into play is like, how can I turn that into an actual beautiful piece of artwork? And, and that's going back to being in, an innovator is like, okay, this is how I'm going to do it. And mm -hmm. I'm going to execute it this way. Even like with yours, we had the, the painting coming off the frame because I wanted to make it look like your character was popping through the frame. Yeah. Like stuff like that, right? Or I could have just stayed within the lines. But I was like, no, let's, we have an opportunity to like really step out here and let's, let's do that. So yeah. yeah. No, super cool. What do you think about NFTs? Yep. Because uh, you're an artist. Yeah. And these sure. started out as, you know, ways to verify art and we'll talk about fraudulent art too. Yeah. Yep. But what do you think of them? Yeah. So early, like late 2018, I had a friend of mine um, who's big into the crypto space and got early in NFTs and told me about this. And I was like, bro, you sound like an alien. Like, what are you <laughs> talking about? I've never, I don't know what you're, you're saying right now. Um, smart contracts and all the fun stuff. So I, I got really, really into it early 2019. Um, and I, I put out a few collections, but at the time it wasn't, you Nobody know, adopted. <laughs> no one knew what they were. Within what ended up happening, specifically as an artist, um, I was approached by, I mean, it was in the hundreds, like of, of little pop-ups that I, from very far away, could see were just pump and dumps. And I was like, and it, it made my entire view on the NFT market because of how people abused it with no utilities or just, yeah. there's painting a monkey that's drunk and like, let's just move on or like, whatever it may be. <laughs> and like, they're doing silly things. And because they were all literal pump and dump schemes. And I got so jaded from the whole entire market because of that. But that's because I was, my friends that looked at it from the business side and smart contract side, which I truly believe is the future. Um, and the utility side is the future. But as an artist, because I was approached with so many scams and so many things that people are just trying to like make a quick buck, it really turned me off to the NFT market. So I haven't, I never ended up even doing a full drop and I had every opportunity to, and like a full collection because I just didn't, I didn't believe in where the market was. Maybe with this like modern, like modern time where we are right now, February over the last couple of months, reset in crypto as a whole, um, it will it will get all that away. And I and I think we'll move into a structure now where NFTs like yours will have utility to maybe invest with you, maybe get access to this thing, maybe like whatever it may be. That's the way it should have went the whole time. Right. But because of abuse and people always have to ruin a good thing. Um, <laughs> well, I guess I'm just thinking like from an artist perspective, right? Not doing it. For some guys who are like, hey, we want to pay you to just paint our mm -hmm. thing, right? Even though that would be tight. You know, we should definitely collab maybe on- Yeah, we do a piece with you. Yeah, of course. One. But um, like for you individually, right? Like you releasing um, your own collection and it's your own just normal art. Like, what do you think about it? So I wanted to do it. Then when they started getting home, let me do my own release. And what I started doing was tying an NFT to my originals. And what's happening is a lot of my clients that are buying still, it's still early, right? In the overall market, but a lot of clients that are buying for simple numbers, like a, a $20,000 painting, I was like, I'm going to gift you the NFT that goes along with the original. Yeah. And they're like, what? <laughs> I need a wallet. I need a thing. And I, I'll, right now I'm in the process of trying to make a sale. And all of a sudden I'm teaching them about NFTs and it's just hurting them. the sale. It was just hurting everything. And that and it happened to me maybe four or five times where I was like, okay, Let's just let's just keep painting canvases, and <laughs> and I'll eventually structure something with a, a a collaboration with someone who's gonna like do this properly for me. But on a standalone, um, I felt like I was doing too much teaching. Yeah, and a lot of my current client bases weren't you know adopting it yet. Do, do you think that they're gonna just all be that way though? So, like you know who knows one day right? Like that's your well, new everything be on a smart uh, for sure. Yeah, it has to be. You you mentioned it earlier was about fraud. Um, I mean. Fraudulent painting market's a multi-billion dollar market. And I heard that like 50% of all like 
big paintings are fraudulent. In the museums, I totally believe that. <laughs> I totally believe it because there's lit. I mean, they're they're finding there was a the most recent one that was not proved to be a scam, but I mean, sorry, fraudulent. It probably is. Was there's a Leonardo da, uh, da Vinci painting? The it was the Jesus with his hand up. It sold for like four hundred million, I think. They found it in a garage and they like proved that it was him from like you know how many hundreds of years ago. And like, how do they? They don't know, right? And there's been so much of that. And I, they have their ways of verifying the paint. And but I've watched documentaries on those those uh, fraudulent artists that they can match up paints from the 1800s and stuff. So smart contracts will fix all of that. And I I think that's the the key to it. But it's it's still going to take time. And I think like even like even young artists like me and like people that are coming up starting to imp trying to entry it into their original canvases will very be helpful for like the future. But yeah, I'm just curious, like how do they even match the physical piece with the the NFT? Because you know you could transfer the NFT, but what if you make a fraudulent piece? Yeah, so it ha it has to be like barcoded in the back of the painting. It has to be part of the um, certificate of authenticity. But then again, like you're 100 percent right. There would have to be something so unique in that painting, embedded in the frame, embedded in the wood, whatever, embedded it in the just paint. Can't be removed. That can't be removed. Right, because if you just do it on a certificate of authenticity, I'll just take the certificate and make a fraudulent one <laughs> yeah. and do it. So, like, it's very tricky. It it really is. And then, what happens when you want to sell? Like, the benefit for artists, which was a big unlock, was being able to get secondary Those market royalties. sales, the royalties, and uh, you know it as well. But now, if the person has an original in their living room and you're, they're reselling the NFT, does it even make sense anymore? Like, is there is the NFT valuable to the painting anymore? It's it's very. It hasn't been ironed out yet. <laughs> yeah. You know, in crazy. the original market. So with the um, my the launch of uh, Tykes back in August, the first one, you know, we were number one traded volume for um, a day. Wow. And we were in the top for like the first week. And wow. just on royalties alone, um, over that span, we made 300 grand. Wow. It's amazing. So, That's just people trading it. Trading it. Yeah. It was crazy. Secondary market. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. So that is a cool unlock for, for artists. But think about that. Like now- you're an artist in that that scenario. You know what? You're right. In that scenario, <laughs> right? You to anyone that like starting out and saying like, how do I? Where the proof is like, how do I become an artist? How do you, you got an audience first? Yeah. And that and that goes. The audience ties into anything you want to do. There's a lot of things you can do. You're going to start a clothing line. You're going to do this and the others. It will work because of your audience, mm -hmm. right? And especially if you tailor to it. Obviously, you can't just do something silly. Yeah. But if you if you have in, right intentions in mind. Building an audience, having a, like a tribe around you that really believes in you can make things like that work. So you are an artist. There we go. And creative. <laughs> you know what? I uh, I did, you know, even though I didn't hand paint, you yeah. know, these things, I uh, definitely was like giving direction of like, yep. no, I don't like that. I like this. That, like, yep. For sure. So. Well, no. a, a lot of artists do that as well. Like I had a, there's a famous saying from uh, from Damien Hirst who says, like, why don't you hand paint all of your canvases? He said, well, why doesn't the architect hand hammer in every single nail? Like they had the vision for it. You had the vision of what Tykes was going to be and you had someone execute it for you perfectly. But the, the architect doesn't, they, they have the vision, right? The, you mentioned yeah. your friend, he has the vision for the house, but he's not going to go hammer in every nail and yeah. put in every screwboard, right? So he's going to get, take his vision and get somebody to execute it for him. That's, that's why we got to get someone else for you to cut out the, to cut it, yes. yeah. cut out all the stuff. Yeah, my, my <laughs> wife's awesome. She works with me. So we do a lot of that type of stuff together. Um, but I, I I still like the process, but I do have to start automating a little bit of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. So like even the 40 that you're working on, you said that it's like the base layer. What does that mean? Yeah. So a lot of like a lot of my canvases, as you see in yours, are thickened in layers. And the main reason that is, so I'm actually colorblind. So I don't see shades of color. Mm -hmm. So over time, what it's like green and brown look the same to me, brown and red look the same to me, blue and purple exactly the same. How do you paint? <laughs> so I work in multiple, multiple layers. So the only time I really get in trouble is when I'll mix two colors together. So if I put blue over here and green over here, or yellow over here, it becomes ugly green, but I don't see it becoming a good green. I just, I remember putting blue and yellow. So what I've had to do and learn over time is add my blue, let it fully dry. Then add my yellow, let it fully dry. And every color that I use, I have to let fully dry before I add the next color or else it'll blend. And when it blends is when I get into trouble. I, early on in my career, I made so many paintings that I thought were pretty, but they were like mud brown and I never saw it become mud brown. So that has helped my art career tremendously because it gave me a style that was unique to me. The way that I layer, the way that there's texture in my paintings is only unique to me. It's because of my colorblindness, because of I have to work within these parameters to make it work. So when I'm doing the base layers, 
um, it's I'm adding one one layer of pain at a time. That's why it takes me so long. Yeah. So are you like what's your I guess business strategy at this point? Like what you know what's your ten year goal? Like for sure. What's all that look like? Yeah. So I I think it's twofold. I think I'll continue to make um, canvases at scale, and I, I love painting canvases. But creative direction as a whole is something that I, I love. I'm, I'm wearing. We mentioned some of the clothing that I'm wearing and my jewelry and stuff. I have a jewelry line called Every Heart. Um, and what I, what I really envision myself doing is taking my artwork and, um, one of my idols and somebody I've always looked up to, uh, is Virgil Abloa, unfortunately passed away, but he was the creative director of Louis Vuitton. He had his own clothing line called Off-White. And then he collaborated with so many different companies like Ikea and Evian Water and Nike and Jordan and all these things. What I really envision myself doing over the next 10 years is creating canvases, painting canvases, but then working with individual companies like a Louis Vuitton, like a Dior. You want to be a creative director. At scale. Yeah. But like, I don't want to like go work like, for a company. I mean, that's what Kanye is. Exactly. He'll go in and, and be a creative director for the Gap or like well, he used Protobis. to be. But yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> good point. <laughs> exactly. But like how, like how he was, I mean, he's a, he's a music artist, but he was able to give his lend his, Pharrell does a great job with this. Pharrell is fantastic at being a creative director for so many different brands, even, even behind the scenes. Pharrell's even creative directed some of the condo buildings in Toronto, like just Totally, like just super uh, random. Super random. You wouldn't think he's a real estate guy. Exactly. And so that's what I want to do. I, I, and that's my that's my 10-year plan. So right now, what I'm really focused on is creating high-end, beautiful luxury artwork for all of these businesses like and doing collaborations. I've done collaborations with everybody from from Disney to Adidas to um, Coors Light. Like I've what do they a, have you do? So like a, for Disney, for example, there was a, a festival that goes on every year early January, I did it about two years ago, and I'll do a big, big painting for them live that turns into a commercial, and then that painting will go into the park, and they'll have it on display as a piece of artwork, but it's a two-fold thing. We're shooting content, we're doing that, and and with that, I've worked with an incredible company called Viral Nation. They're um, good friends of mine, but they've done work with so many companies around the world to like to place um, you know artists like me with big brands, and I'll continue to work with them because they're fantastic, and then sort of um, even Adidas, like, oh, all partnership based on events right now. So like Adidas has a big event for a new shoe. I'll paint a hundred of them. I'll do the collaboration with them and then we'll, we'll, we'll move to the next one. So the next step for me is working out distribution deals with all these brands and working in like doing my own Disney toy. I have a spin on a toy, doing my own Adidas shoe. Like Adidas, I'm just using these as examples, yeah, yeah. but um, it's just going into more distribution deals with all these brands. Yeah. How did, do you know how Kanye got even into it? I'm curious. I just through his design. So actually Virgil, um, who I mentioned earlier was Kanye's creative director for all of his early big shows and stuff. But once you, they, once you get to a certain stage and you have certain audience, you're able to go in and just people believe your eye, they believe your vision. And, and if, if you like it enough, then you can, you can present your vision to whoever you want to. So because Kanye had such an incredibly strong audience at the time, definitely not anymore. But because he had such a strong audience, um, he was able to say like, hey, like I want to design a shoe and he wanted to make a shoe for himself. And because he was in the know and he was like iconic, it was it was able he was able to do that. And I think that's just the way, I think it just came, came down to audience. I mean, mm-hmm. we see it with even from Kendall Jenner to having her own whatever the lip kits or like all these things like they're designing these things that in theory, they never should have been in those rooms, but because yeah. of their audience, they're allowed to. Yeah. I mean, like Rihanna just performed at the Super Bowl and now she's got Fenty. Yeah, and, and Fenty, I saw, I just saw a stat before I got here. It was like they went up, like had eight million, no, eighty million in sales yesterday, right after the Fenty <laughs> website. She yeah. gained one point eight million followers. Like, like there's the right, and she's already a billion dollar brand just with that. Yeah, well, it's funny because uh, yeah, for the Super Bowl, they don't get paid, and a lot of times, yeah, they pay to be on the Super Bowl. So like. I was reading the article, like Dr. Dre, uh, maybe it was the previous one. He paid like $6 last year, million yeah. dollars to like produce the Super Bowl. Crazy, like, right? They don't pay Dr. Dre. Yeah, yeah. He's everyone lucky. thinks, everyone, always, I was always thought, I, I heard that yeah. as well. I was like, I always thought like, these guys are gonna make so much money doing that. I'm like, no, they're paying. They're paying. But the back they end. They know it's the best advertising. Exactly. Because the back end is, is phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. And so Rihanna, whatever, I mean, she definitely didn't get paid to do it. She probably came out of pocket to do it. And yep. they made their money. But eyeballs, right? We, we, we. You know, we, we both know Grant says this a lot, like just more attention you can get, the the more eyeballs and the more sales on the back end. So yeah. I know we believe in that for yeah. sure. Yeah, no, I think the creative director thing is is awesome because it's like, man, being able to work with just different companies like allows you to like, as a creative person, this is me too. Like, it's why I can't ever just stay only in real estate. People are like, dude, 
why don't you just stick to real estate and only do this? I'm like, bro, I'd get way too bored. Yep. Like I got to look at different problems and industries and things and I want to solve them and I want to create new things. Like I'm too bored. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. No, that's, that's the way I look at it as well. And then as you go into these different industries, you're taking back things to your core, back to real estate. You're, yeah. That, that's one big, one big unlock for me in the art industry is that I've talked to so many different types of businesses and been a sponge to it all where I'm like, wait, I could take that concept and put it into my art career. Yeah. I could take that concept and put it in my art. And it, it really elevates everything with it. Yeah. So being open to that concept is what elevates your life as a whole. Mm-hmm. So what do you think like the different ways to be creative are? Like, yeah. because when I I think of creativity, I'm like, oh, okay, that person can, I, I think of the artsy stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, they can sing, they can dance, they can yeah. paint. And that's basically it. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, for <laughs> sure. So to go to creativity and innovation, it really takes coming down with a, a set plan. So understanding like we have our target, we have our goal, and then how many different ways can I get to that goal? That's how I look at it. If it. Even if it's a singular canvas, how many different angles can I do to get there? And the only way to actually become creative, let's use that term, is to try all of these things and take little elements of each of these little attempts to create that one outcome. So if, if your outcome is like, how can I buy this house with none, with none of my own money. Mm-hmm. Now, let me look at all the different ways that people, and we also live in a world where information is easy, where how many, how do other people do this first and foremost, right? Yeah. Nothing's new anymore. There's an incredible book called Steal Like an Artist by Austin Kleon, where he proves that like everything in life has been done, right? So like mm-hmm. almost, he can, you can backtrack to almost anything that you, we think is new and innovative and creative has already been tried or has already been done. Mm. So if we're trying to analyze a problem, like how do I buy this house when I'm broke? Let me... Let's figure out how other people did it. And then now, now let's put my spin on it. And that's where the innovation comes into play. Let me see how I'm going to do it. Let me just, and then just figure it out. So I I just think it really comes from, you know, being curious and then working extremely hard at at executing that goal. Mm. No, I love that. Yeah. Well, dude, I'm super excited to see what kind of art that you start creating in the future. I'm excited to get some more art from you. For sure. I can't wait. uh, we, We talked about doing my home gym. That'd be sweet to, uh, you know, just like get some sick art all over the gym. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, just release more collections with you too. Yeah. Like the events. Cause like, man, it was just, everybody wanted that, that canvas. That's awesome. There's only a hundred of them yeah. and I hand signed all of them too. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. So, um, it's going to be exciting, man. I'm super grateful and I'm, I'm excited for it all. We got being creative. Yeah. Create new ideas. Yeah. Uh, where can people find your art and everything? Yeah, so mainly my Instagram is my number one spot is Richardi Paints. That's um, where you mainly sell most stuff. Yeah, through DM there, but then also I have a website, uh, yeah. Richardi Paints. But all my originals will just come through through email, through DM, and I'll make anything for anyone. But yeah, Richardi Paints. Awesome. Well, guys, check him out. You're looking for something creative. He's the guy. I, I love it. It's been great art for me, and uh, others have too. So thank you so appreciate much. Appreciate you coming out again, man. Thank you. All right, guys, make sure you uh, go follow Anthony, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Peace. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Thanks for making it to the end. The good news is I've got another one that I know you're going to like, and all you got to do is click it right here, linking it right here. All you got to do is just click it, and you're going to see this new episode that you're going to love.